Today you've joined hundreds of established and emerging writers who are discovering ways to reach their writing goals and have fun by being more curious, creative, and productive. You're listening to Ann Croker, Writing Coach. This is episode 184, Jennifer Dukes-Lee, author, acquisitions editor. Today, we're interrupting the Write to Discover series to talk with author and acquisitions editor Jennifer Dukes-Lee. Jennifer is the author of Love Idol, The Happiness Dare, and It's All Under Control, which released in 2018. She's also a friend of mine. We've known each other for 10 years. When Jennifer was in town for an event, we met up and discussed challenges that writers, especially nonfiction authors, face as they try to land a traditional book contract. Jennifer generously provides us with behind-the-scenes insight and solid action steps we can take today. She offers hope, too, that one doesn't necessarily have to boast a giant platform to find a publisher. Now, you can hear us fine, but the sound quality is a little ethereal, especially toward the beginning. Once your ear adjusts, I think you'll be fine. Perhaps imagine us in some fantastical location. Anyway, you will love meeting Jennifer. Well, I'm here with Jennifer Dixley. She's a good friend of mine. We work together at The High Calling, and we are here face-to-face, in person. And I'm going to have her tell you a little bit about her work as a writer. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. This is so cool. Face to face. You know, I've never done a face to face podcast. Interesting. There aren't a lot of podcasters in Iowa where I'm from. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm usually Skyping or Zooming or or calling in. So this is really fun to look into the eyes of another podcaster and imagining all your listeners out there right now, hopeful writers and editors and so forth. So I am from Iowa. And I have been a writer really probably since I started writing in my Sesame Street journal in first grade. I had my first words-related job when I was 16 years old. I worked for a weekly newspaper, the Lorenz Sun in Iowa, and immediately like the news bug bit. And so I went on to journalism school got my first job out of college at the Omaha World Herald then the Des Moines Register. So you can see a pattern. It's just words, words, words everywhere. And then we moved back to my husband's family farm, fourth generation family farm. And I kept my job on a part-time basis, but it just, the, the allure of news, it's just not the same when you're not in a newsroom setting. So I quit and I, but the, the, my need to express myself Um, in writing remained and so I started a blog and at the same time I started teaching journalism at a small college called Dort College in northwest Iowa and that blog and all of that experience that sits behind um, the blog led to now my third book and my first bible study that have come out and in another twist on my journey of words, I am a nonfiction acquisitions editor for a Christian publishing house in the Twin Cities called Bethany House. So that's my story. Who knows what will happen next? Wow. <laughs> wow. Could you have anticipated that you would be an acquisitions editor today? No, I, I couldn't have. It was, it's my dream job, but it was a dream I didn't know I was having. <laughs> oh, say more about that. Well, um, I have... I've gotten extremely busy with my own writing, my own books. 
blogging, a lot of a lot of work out on social media and marketing, and I really thoroughly enjoy expressing myself in what I call or what is called microblogging on Instagram and Facebook every morning. So that had me going at a pretty slick pace, plus um, my, the speaking that I was doing. And so I wasn't out looking for a job, but it was a door that opened, a door that I didn't even know was there as I was standing in the hallway. And for me, doors that just open like that are certainly worth looking into. So I stepped inside the door and stood on the threshold for three and a half months before I gave the publishing house my yes. And really, I have spent a lot of the last probably 10 to 15 years nurturing and encouraging other writers who are maybe just a few steps behind me. And to me, it felt like a natural extension of what I was already doing, but but being able to do it in a more meaningful way that might end up with some of these talented writers that I've come into contact with actually getting a book contract and actually providing meaningful words to people. So it's... Yeah, a door that opened that I didn't know was there. Wow. So because of relationships, I'm assuming, in the industry? Right. Um, Oddly, (laughs) the man who... uh, My proposal went to this publishing house in 2014. And what happens when you have a publish when you have a proposal in front of a publishing house is they will pursue, pursue, pursue it, excuse me, they will either pursue it or pass. And I was a pass. And I ended up signing with a different publishing house. But I really connected with these people. I really liked who they were. I liked their mission. But for a variety of reasons, this particular book wasn't a good fit for them. But we remained in contact. And over the years, I've said, you really ought to check out so-and-so. And they've ended up signing some of those authors. And they thought that maybe I would like to do that on a more regular basis. So it wasn't out of... It was as I, I didn't apply for the job or wasn't wasn't trying to make something happen. It was just this this dream that that landed on my doorstep. But it took a long time to decide because there was some. It would involve some sacrifice. It would involve changing um, some of what I was doing. I needed to say no to some other things in order to to say yes to that. So, which is true of almost every decision anything. we make, isn't it? That's right. How is it affecting your own writing life? I took this job two weeks after my latest book came out, and any of your author uh, listeners will know that writing a book doesn't just happen and then you let it work itself out. There is, I think, at least a year of pretty steady marketing that occurs, and this is a halftime position, so I'm able to balance right now the marketing of this book along with this particular job. Now, there will come a time where I will be writing um, writing again, but I, I feel that, um, I don't know what that's going to look like yet because I'm still too new to this job, but I feel like in some ways this will make me a better author. I think it helps me to understand uh, my audience in a new way uh, because I'm encountering proposals in a new way. I'm encountering books before they're actually books and encountering those books both as an author and as a representative of a publishing house, but also as a reader. I tend to read, I tend to read a lot of books twice, 
like even like I'll read a chapter and I'll go read it again. Sometimes I'll read it for the first time for the first time just to think about the writing or think about how are they speaking to the reader. And then I'll go back and read it a second time just to let it sink in. So I have a sense that this will help me to it will strengthen strengthen who I am as an author. But I also have a sense that it will be challenging in terms of time. What are people, what are they sending out that is working? Like, what are you seeing working now in this new role that you might not have seen as an, from the other angle as an author? I think, um, quite honestly, Anne, it's probably too early for me to tell that yet. I haven't seen enough proposals come across my desk to make um, broad and sweeping um, judgments or, or not judgments, but an analysis on that sort of thing. Um, I think what I am seeing, even before this role, and in in particular, I'm going to speak to, to nonfiction because I don't I don't write fiction, and I, I'm not an editor for fiction, so I'm speaking primarily to nonfiction. But what I'm seeing that's working are people who have a very clear sense of what's called the felt need of the reader, something that they either want or need, that maybe they didn't even know it was a need, but when they flip over that book and read the back cover copy, they'll say things like, she's inside my head, or he's saying exactly what I felt for so long. I need to read this. And I think that people that really understand their reader and that have developed that over some time with their their current audience practicing talking to their reader either through their blog or their podcast or through microblogging on Facebook or Instagram, getting a sense of how how do I convey this message in a way that connects? So quite honestly, my books are re- written and rewritten many times over in blog posts and Facebook posts. Sometimes I'll take the same concept and say it a little bit different way and find that how I'm communicating it one day in a given way may resonate more directly to the heart of the reader. So I think the best proposals, they they have a clear sense of what the felt need is of their audience. But also they have a very clear sense of what their own voice is. I think that's very important. I remember some years ago, um, there was an author, she still is an author, by the name of Anne Voskamp. And she was uh, very popular in the same sort of circles that I run in, in blogging, um, in the Christian nonfiction genre. And she was having some success, and, and, and part of it was because she had such a unique voice. And what happened then was lots of other people were trying on the voice of Anne Voskamp. And so you would run around and read different blogs, and they would start to sound a lot like Ann Voskamp. And I think that's okay for a time to try on different voices and try to figure out. You, you end up learning what your own voice is by maybe trying on the voices of different people that you're reading. But know what your own voice is and wear it confidently um, in, in the writing that you're doing right now and even in the proposal that you send out to a publishing house. So you think people should really have developed their idea, beta tested it. They should really have it very far along before they even bu- begin to put it together as a proposal. I, I personally think so. Now, I know there's, there will be people out there that say you shouldn't do that because, one, they're afraid their idea is going to get stolen by someone else. 
they are um, they don't want to feel like they're giving their key readers, those readers that have been following them for so long, they want to feel like they're giving them something that the reader hasn't seen before. And in 55,000 words, I can assure you there will be something left over. But I think you need you at least need to give people a little bit of a taste. So if you're, you know, if you're a lead, if you have a book on leadership and you've been spending the past four years writing, you know, gluten-free recipes, <laughs> your audience is going to expect gluten-free recipes. And so if you suddenly have a leadership, it doesn't fit what your audience has come to expect. So I think to give, to, to create yourself, not create yourself, but to let yourself stand out as an expert in your area, but not an expert in the sense always of that I have all the answers. So maybe, maybe the better way to say that is a trusted voice. So um, I'm the kind of writer who writes sort of in the middle of the struggle, vulnerably from I'm in the field with you, I'm going through the same things that you're struggling with, and maybe I'm a little bit of further ahead, and this is what I've learned along the way. There will be some books that are uh, more kind of from the stage or from the, from the pulpit, so to speak, of these are the answers that will get you from point A to point B. But I think that your reader needs to know what, the, what, what they would expect from you um, in that whatever your trusted voice is and that you would be able to wear that voice into the book. And that's playing a little bit into platform. Talk to me about platform. Uh, from maybe you can come at it from both angles as the as an author and as an acquisitions editor. Right. So, platform has always been kind of a big deal. Uh, we used to hear about it in in terms of the speaker up on the platform, mm-hmm. and a lot of speakers were signed to book contracts because a lot of people came and sat in the seats mm-hmm. while they were up on this platform, and. Um, that came to stand for these new stages that have emerged on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and blogs, podcasts, all that, all those numbers, all those people, all those fans and followers become your platform. And it can be very discouraging, especially to first time authors or prospective authors. Um, and I know so because I can tell you a story about it, uh, when I had been blogging for about three years, it became clear to me that a book, a book was emerging. And I knew it was connecting with readers. And I knew I had more to say. But at, the, at night, I'd put the, the girls to bed, and I would open up the laptop, and in that blue glow of the computer screen, I would type in the words, how do I get published? How do I find a literary agent? And everything I read really said back to me, you're too small. You're not enough. You'll, you know, you're, there's, there's no way you're going to get a literary agent or, or a publishing contract. And so it was very discouraging to feel that here I was, a woman who had been writing for all of her adult life and really started as a teenager I was a professional writer. I had taught. I was somewhat successful in blogging, but my platform on social media was rather small, and my literal platforms were like small moms groups and you know weekend small weekend retreats with groups of women. 
so I thought that I really had no chance. And, um, you know, there's a long story behind the short story, but the short story is um, there are first-time authors with small platforms that are still getting published, and I know it because I was one of them. I have a very small following of about 1,000 subscribers, 1,000 on Facebook. I don't even think there was Instagram back then. If there was, I was late to the game as usual. But what I did have, and I asked my publisher this, I said, why did you sign me? Hmm. And she said, you were writing about a topic that was different from anything that we were publishing at that time. Sometimes you'll get rejected just because there's another book that the publishing house is doing that's a little too similar to the content that you're presenting. So you were doing something different than it, that we weren't publishing right at the time, and you had really strong writing. And one thing in particular that she loved is that I had a page full of endorsements from people like Ann Croker. You were on that initial list of endorsements that stood behind my writing and said, I believe in Jennifer as a writer. This is how we know each other. And I had even past news editors on that list, people that weren't even in the same genre that I was writing in, but that could speak to the quality of my writing. And they were impressed by that. And then by the time they got to the first chapter, that sample chapter that I had worked so hard on, that I had workshopped, that I had torn apart and shredded and rewrote so many times, that I had given them something that they didn't feel that they could refuse. Now, 12 other publishing houses did refuse it, <laughs> and one of them I'm now working for, oh, yeah, <laughs> right? right? But um, they, they, they took a chance on somebody that had a small platform. And what I've come to learn is that publishers, all books are picked for at least two of the following reasons. Large platform, great idea, and fantastic writing. Now, for me, according to the publisher, I had great idea and fantastic writing. So, But even if you are a large platform author, if you don't have a great idea or fantastic writing, you're probably not going to get signed. So it, they have their own, uh, you know, even a large platform author has, has some of their own obstacles standing, standing before them. But when you're looking from the outside, it can just feel like, well, she got signed or he got signed because they have 100,000 followers on Twitter. But um, I have seen and I could list off multiple examples of people in the last year to two years that have gotten nice contracts from publishing houses with small platforms. That's encouraging. Mm -hmm. What can somebody do right now then to prepare them? I think you've hinted, or not even hinted, you've said some of it. What are some things we can do right now to prepare ourselves to, to, for a proposal so that we're ready, so that we're not doing it too soon? So taking those three things into account, you mm -hmm. pointed out the idea that we test it with an audience so right. that implies a lot of things that implies I have an audience or I build an audience and then the testing of an idea means I'm somehow beta testing it can, can you give me some tips that I can that we can pass on here right so for sure one area I'll start there where you talked about um, testing your your message with your audience um, in, you, you can do that e even on Facebook or on in a social media platform. I think everybody who's listening has got at least 500 Facebook friends. Even if you don't have a page, put yourself out there and test it out with your with your 500 
Facebook followers. Like actually write a post yeah. about the topic in some way, yeah. feature it with an mm-hmm. image. Is that yeah, what you mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. If, um, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're a, a, doing a leadership book, you know, these three steps to, um, I'm not, I don't, I clearly don't write leadership books. <laughs> so why do I keep bringing up leadership books? <laughs> Well, like, okay, if you write, if you're doing a book on writing, right? Okay, I can talk about that. I have never written a book on writing, but I know about it. Like, you know, three things that you can do today to build your platform, right? There we go. Okay, and so maybe test it out. But certainly by this point in the game, I I think everybody does need to at least have a web presence. I think they need to at least have a have a website where they they can point people to and start some of your writing out there. Um, So that's one thing is you got to test test the message. Second is invest financially and time-wise in what it takes to, to better yourself in the craft. I still am a part of membership-only sites that help me understand better how to market, for instance. I have, in the past, hired you as a writing coach to help me flesh out ideas. And that really wasn't so long ago, two or three years ago. And here I've got 20, 25 years of writing behind me. So continuing to do things that invest in your craft heading to a conference I mean, make good choices decide what what you can afford to do um, but I think it's important that you invest and I think to even put that in your proposal it shows that you care about your writing that yeah there's a that I'm a part of this membership site and in it and in this site this is the kinds of ways that I'm continuing to improve my craft so that deals with that kind of great writing piece and and then um, understanding your audience really hits that felt need and I think, too, in the proposal, you need to share with the publisher or your agent that you are not content with where your, uh, where your platform is right now, that you have a willingness to continue to grow. So show maybe where the trajectory is. That I remember saying something like, my, you know, I had 1,000 email subscribers. My email subscribers have grown by 50% in the last <laughs> six months or whatever, which wasn't a lot in terms of numbers, but I was trying to show that I have grown, that, that it is headed mm-hmm. upward, and that here, here are the things that I plan to do to uh, continue to build and grow. And you did it. Mm-hmm. And so where do people find some of these? You talked about membership-only sites. Where do you find, where, where does an average person anywhere in the world find some of these resources? Do you know? Uh-huh. You know, I think a lot of the the one the the one that I'm a part of is that I came upon it by word of mouth, word of mouth, um, and just good old fashioned googling. Yeah. But I think word of mouth is is probably the best place to start. Looking on Facebook and typing in keywords of um, book people authors who are writing leadership books. <laughs> we all need to know the right? answer to that. I don't know. I, I need a leadership book in my life. Somebody okay, said, listener out there, there's an acquisitions editor looking for a, in need of a leadership book. Good grief. Well, did, did we cover all them, all the three platform? And then there's craft, and then what's left? Is, okay, the great writing, great idea. Great idea. The and idea. great idea, really, I think, is um, you know, what have you become known for? And is there a clear indication that people care about that? particular topic and you can tell because they're sharing about it on Facebook they're saying things to you like 
like uh, you must be reading my diary or yeah. I tried this the other day or I clipped this out and I printed this out and I gave it to everybody in my book club because I thought it was so good or I shared it with everybody at the office. Yeah. Those sorts of things uh, are a good indication that you're, you've got a good idea that people are, are hanging on to and that's memorable. If it were a Venn diagram, it would be a combination of what you're, mm-hmm. you excel at, what you write about, what you care about, and what the, the readers are mm-hmm. responding to, right? Is that Absolutely. I think a nice, nice overlap. overlap. Mm-hmm. So how about, you know, there's this funny chapter in, um, in Anne Lamott's book, um, and she talks about everywhere she goes at the end, she's talking about this, that, and the other. And the end, they, they raise their hand and they want to know, how do you find an agent? How do you find an agent? So how do you find an agent? The question that we all want to know <laughs> when we hit that computer with the blue glow. Because most of us know that the best way in to a publishing house is through a gatekeeper, which is a literary agent. So now the things that I just told you about platform and felt need and good writing, they're looking for all the same things because they want to pick people that they can advocate for to the publishing house. So they want somebody that they believe in and they know what the publishing house is looking for. This ain't their first rodeo. So they want to know that you've got those things in place already. Now they'll help you get that even more shaped up. I had my first agent really helped me get my proposal shaped up in a way that improved all of those areas. But I think the first thing that people need to remember when they're looking for a literary agent is make sure you're pitching to the right kind of agent. Like in my case, I am um, in Christian nonfiction. So I need to be looking for the lists of Christian nonfiction agents who would be willing to shop out my proposal. If you're uh, writing fiction or children's books, make sure you're pitching to the right kinds of agents. And most of their websites will tell you, just a little bit of investigating is going to let you know if you're at the the right agent's door. And I think that uh, one way to really find the right agent is by examining the books that you love most, or that are, maybe not that you love most, but the ones that are similar to the sort of thing you're writing um, in terms of the genre. Open up the front cover, and in the credits, you can see often who their agent is, or if you flip back to the acknowledgments, they're usually thanking their agent. So that'd be a great place to start. Wow, great great idea, great tip. How would somebody know whether or not they need to go to an agent or straight to an acquisitions editor, and how would they even do that? I think generally it's going to be hard to go straight to an acquisitions editor at least in the, the field that I am in. Uh, now, that's not always the case. I, I'm always scouting new authors. So I... Where do you find them? <laughs> you know, for me, I, I am looking for pe- fresh voices on Instagram all the time. Mm. Who are people talking about? Who seems to be connecting with their audience? Who is comfortable with their voice? Those same kinds of things that I was talking about earlier. And I might look at their numbers too, but I'm really interested in like the fresh new voice. I love to find those people. And what a dream to get to send off that email to them saying, you know, I've been looking at your writing and I think you really have something special to offer. Have you thought about writing a book? So that's a more unusual route to publishing. If if it were me and I really knew I wanted to write a book, I wouldn't wait to be found or discovered. I would get to work right now. And my first step would be in finding an agent. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to be networking mostly as an acquisitions editor with agents. That's correct. They, you, you get the sense that uh, 
they've already weeded out a lot of the material that might be coming your way. They've already you they they've become trusted in the industry. You get the sense that their proposals have probably been shaped a little bit more to help them hone their idea, to target that felt need, to really make their writing sing a little bit more than hopefully it already did. And I think that's that's a really solid way. Like I will look longer at a proposal probably that came in that way than maybe just somebody just who happened to find my email address online and just dropped it in and says, I just wanted to pick your brain about this. So I think a better route is, is to start with an agent. But if you have a connection and you feel really good and you have a house ready proposal, one that's ready for an agent or an, uh, excuse me, an acquisitions editor to look at, I suppose it wouldn't hurt, but I think that would be a more difficult route. What's your opinion on conferences? On conferences, I think that in terms of being the from the author's point of view... Yes, as an author, maybe trying to connect with somebody. Right. Okay. I think... Th- I know people that have gotten contracts out of those conferences, out of those magical 15-minute appointments with publishers, but I would not put everything in. Those are a handful of people. I think that conferences go there to learn and to grow from the people who are speaking go there to make connections with other writers who are in the same place that you are i think if you go there and have this idea that that in this 15 magical 15 minutes this is this is what it's all going to come down to like if i if i mess up during this 15 minutes my career is over i i had some of those appointments with authors at a conference in July. And this was even before I was an acquisitions editor. I was just in a mentor role to look at their proposal. And in some cases, before uh, we would begin to look at the proposal, the author would burst into tears because they had so much writing on this. They had There was six to 12 months or more of, of work sitting behind this proposal, and then perhaps years of life sitting behind that proposal, and now they have 15 minutes to try to present it to somebody and to be evaluated. It was just a lot. So I think it's good to, it's good practice to have those. It's good practice, be, and it also gets your proposal in shape, and it helps you learn how to verbally present your case for a book, but I wouldn't go thinking this is this is it. Like if I don't, if this doesn't happen here, it's not going to happen at all because it's not the case. That's really refreshing because I think we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves as authors going into those meetings. So you would say then, you said earlier, look at your favorite books, find some agents that are representing the kind of work they do and you do, assuming it's overlapping. Pitching them by email per their what their request is. Absolutely. I just go that right route. Absolutely. And here's two things, too, that I think that your listeners can do right now. This could be tasks that they do this week. Number one, make sure that if they have a web presence, that their bio is exactly what they want it to say, that it's updated and that it doesn't feel dry and boring that it's their voice i can tell you from personal experience now as an acquisitions editor once i get those proposals i immediately look for their web presence and i am over there in a flash what are they doing over there what what's their voice like on their 
their website, their main presence online. We could we have access immediately. In 2012, when I first when I pitched my first book, I had you you can see where the URLs were coming from. So I would see like Zondervan, Thomas Nelson. They were in there. And I I remember having this panicked feeling of, I don't think my site's ready for this. Like I it didn't occur to me that they would actually come over and check out what I was doing. So that's something that you can do right now. Get right ready. now. Get ready. Have everything yeah, ready. That's good. And make sure that your proposal there are parts, I think we just treat it like a business document a little bit too much. Like we're trying to make our case and we're being so businessy that we take all of our personality out of it. Mm. Remember that the people that are reading your document are like not robots, they're actual people too. And they may be going through the same struggles that you're going through. They may have a child that um, slammed the door on them that morning, an adult child who hasn't called home in two years. They may have just found out that their wife has cancer, or that their job is on the line. So they're struggling with the same, the same fears and anxieties and needs that you are and that you are hoping to feed into. I know one of the people that did put an offer on my first book wanted it so badly because she wanted to know how it all ended and what this, how I found the answer. A real, she wanted it as a person, and so she knew if I want this, I think that other readers will want it too. So I think to remember that, that there's real people and to let your real voice shine through. I had a um, former acquisitions editor tell me, I interviewed him for a talk that I did on book proposals, and he said, it's no surprise that us acquisitions types sign authors that we would love to join at a meal. And I think that's true. Like, And I think that's, you, you feel like this is a person I trust. This is a person that I could have a steak with, uh, or uh, you know, a crepe <laughs> and a coffee, whatever it happens, whatever it would happen to be. I think that naturally you you feel a connection right away. So that's good. So the mm-hmm. the person who's reading it is a real person, and they're looking for a real person. Mm-hmm. That's so, yes, so true. It's a business document. It is, but what's in it is reflecting you and your idea. And Absolutely. Your That's really a great a great reminder. I think it puts us a little bit more at ease. I think there's somewhere in the middle seems like where people could try to land because if you go too casual then you're not taking the business part seriously which is what would you say? Maybe the marketing and the promotional things. Like, tell me about right, that. right. So, like your chapter outline. But if you're, if it's a funny, you know, if you've got funny stories, let's see the humor True. in your chapter outline. But um, you know, you, there's a certain kind of structure and format to these things. I think when you're in the marketing section and you're talking about where you've spoken or you know how many follows followers you have on Facebook or what have you that you know clearly let's just cut to the chase and not get too cute but the <laughs> ch- where you really have a chance to shine is uh, the about section like tell me about you that one page or whatever where you're going to describe you know a lot of a lot of authors I've seen have pictures of themselves in their proposal. Now, when I turned in my first proposal, it was text only, you know, but I think it's, I think it is fun and it's nice to feel like a connection with the person on the bio page. Uh, Almost every proposal I'm seeing now actually has a photograph of the author in it. And I think obviously another place place that you're really going to shine with your own voice is in that sample chapter or two that you send with the document. That's good. And where did you put those? um, You have, that's such a clever idea to put the uh, testimonials really mm-hmm. about you not not the book they hadn't even seen the book it was about you as a writer mm-hmm. 
in anticipation of pitching your first book. Where did you put those? Well, I, the first place I did was um, I read everything, only a one-page query letter to the agents. Well, I did two pages. So I did <laughs> the letter. Yeah, I cheated, and I did that second page of uh, endorsements to the to the agent. And it was actually his idea to then put it into the proposal. Wow. Now, where in the order of things did I put it? I don't recall, especially. But I'm, I would guess it was probably around the area where you would talk about marketing or potential endorsers, that sort of thing, before you get to the annotated outline and the sample chapter. Yeah, that makes sense. What I love that you gave them a to-do list to go in and update those bios and update your about page and make sure everything looks the way you want it to look when people come to you. What other to-do list? Give them some things to do now. And you've done that a little, I think, <laughs> with working on craft and professional development. Yeah. I would say um, you could survey your readers. Uh, literally? With a survey? Literally. Well, I have on a number of occasions to my subscribers, what are your what are your biggest needs in the in the seasons ahead? What what do you what do you know me for? What how do I bring meaning or more encouragement or hope to your life? What do you wish I would do more of? And it feels risky, but what do you wish I didn't do as much? And it could give you a clear idea of how who 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 you are. Like, what do people come to you for? Where are you that trusted voice in their life? And I think that will help you in that sense of great idea, like what that great idea is. It'll, it'll help you hone what you're known for and what people come to expect from you. Man, that's great. It's so fun to have somebody on the inside <laughs> giving us a little peek into the world of uh, this this world of publishing that I think seems like a mystery mm-hmm. to a lot of people. Does it feel more or less like a mystery now that you're on this side of things, or is it still too new? It's In some ways, it seems like more of a mystery because... <laughs> <laughs> but there was something really refreshing about it. I think sometimes there's this adversarial relationship between authors and publishing houses because there's money involved and because there is because of a business. But to sit on the other side, sort of peeking behind the curtain and see that there's not some, you know, cranky old wizard back there, but there were real people with real needs and real concerns and just real, a, a deep desire to produce great work in the world. It was refreshing that they were smart business people, but they had they have hearts of wanting to produce and partner with authors to bring confident, content that brings meaning to people's lives. And that was incredibly refreshing. That is. And I know you have that heart too. Mm-hmm. So it's no no surprise that you've stepped into this mm-hmm. role and you'll do it well. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing these ideas with these writers. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for writers that are in the trenches? That would be my encouragement, is that you can do this. I think that I, I mean, as a person who sat at that screen and said there is no way, to be on the other side of it and know that it is possible, and then four years later, four years later, to be in a position of getting to make some of those decisions. So I think if, if this is really something that is in your heart and it is burning inside of you there's really no stopping that i think you just have to give it time to catch and some of it's timing some of it's the right person seeing it sometimes it's the right person in opening the door for you to introduce you to their agent or their publishing house sometimes it is that magical 15 minute appointment at a writer's conference 
but a lot of it is just hard work and keeping at it. That is great. Thank you for investing in these listeners. Thank you for investing in authors in general. Thanks for investing in great great publishing, great literature in the world. I, I can't wait to see what happens next with Thank your career. You. Thank you for joining me for this conversation with Jennifer Dukesley. You can get to know her better by going directly to her website. That's jenniferdukesley.com. But I will also include everything Jennifer-related at the show notes for this episode, including links to her books, links to all the places she's active online, and a direct link to sign up for Top 10 with Jen. The show notes will be at this easy-to-remember link. That's ancroker.com slash JDL. JDL stands for Jennifer Dukes Lee. So that's ancroker.com slash JDL. Ann Croker is A-N-N. K-R-O-E-K-E-R. So it's ancroker.com slash J-D-L for Jennifer Dukes Lee. And I'm Ann Croker cheering you on as a writing coach in your ear. Everywhere we may meet, at my website, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, in your inbox, here on this podcast, over at Patreon, or even in person, I'm always looking for ideas to share with you that will help you achieve your writing goals and have fun by being more curious, creative, and productive. Thank you for listening.